Good morning. Welcome, everybody, to our Aliyah Day. I am glad to be with you. Rabbi Mordecai Griffin here, uh, your host for the Daily Aliyah. If you are new to our channel, thank you for being here. It is a blessing to have you. We have many new faces, many new names, and so that's always exciting. Uh, if you have not yet subscribed to our channel, please do so. That would be a huge blessing, and it would be a blessing to us, and I, I pray and hope a blessing to you. Uh, please be sure to also click the bell icon so that you will be alerted to all the new content that we have coming out, and with God's help, that will be quite a lot over the next uh, few months, weeks, what have you. So, uh, Also, because there are new people, let me just go ahead and say, uh, or answer a question, rather, that came up yesterday, and it comes up from time to time. This is called the Aliyah Day. The word Aliyah means to um, go up or, or rise up or what have you. And so oftentimes when uh, Jewish people such as us are making, uh, coming up to the Bema to read the Torah, that's called making an Aliyah, coming up to the Torah to uh, read a portion of it. Or uh, when Jews um, uh, return to Israel or, or move to Israel or what have you, that's very often called making Aliyah. In fact, anytime we go to Jerusalem, for any reason, because Jerusalem is an elevated city, it's in the in the mountains, we make Aliyah. With respect to our Aliyah day here, uh, every week there is a Torah portion that we study, Jews study from uh, the same portion all over the world, because um, we're all on the same calendar, therefore we're all in unity. And uh, each Torah portion is divided into seven Aliyot, to seven Aliyahs, if you will, Aliyot being a... Um, a plural form of that word. And so what we do here in the Aliyah day is that every day of the week, we take that Aliyah for the day and we read it and uh, study it and glean from it. And so uh, that's what we do. And that's the purpose of this, uh, this broadcast. So thank you so much uh, for being with us uh, today. Baruch Hashem. So uh, we are in... The Parasha Vayelech. We're almost finished with the entire Torah. Uh, and uh, we are in chapter 31 of the book of Deuteronomy, also known as Devarim. We use here as our main text for reading. There's many texts that I have here for commentary, but uh, with respect to reading, our main text is the Art Scroll Chumash. If you read it in English, it looks like Chumash, but in fact, it's Chumash. And so you can get the Art Scroll Chumash, for those of you who are new, uh, from artscroll.com. In fact, I am going to show you the Art Scroll Chumash. This is on, to benefit all of our new people. This is the Art Scroll Chumash. You can see right there. So if you go to artscroll.com and you get the Art Scroll Chumash, this blue book right here. See, it says, uh, turn the camera, it says the Chumash. You can order this book and it'll be wonderful. And it's a great time to do so because now we're getting ready to begin anew the Parashot very soon with, uh, with Parashah Breshit, with the Parashah beginning in the book of Genesis. So um, this has all the Parashot in it and all the, the Haftarot, which is the prophets, and it has... A lot of commentary. And so I highly recommend this book when people are new to Lapid Judaism and just starting to walk this walk of faith and 
Bezrat Hashem will eventually lead to their full conversion to becoming Lupid Jews. Then I they very often ask, what book should I get? And this is the book. You know, it says in Proverbs 23, 23, to buy wisdom and not sell it. And when you read the commentary about that, it's talking about books, <laughs> holy books. So uh, as Jews, we, uh, we have uh, lots of bookshelves, and thank God, lots of books. And you shouldn't sell them. All right, so here we go to uh, the fifth parasha, already the fifth day of the week. Can you believe it? Coming up to an important Shabbat, uh, the Shabbat Shuvah. Oh, by the way, one more thing. Uh, the Arlapi Judaism YouTube channel here has just blown up. It's been amazing about all the people in the last week that have become subscribers and watched our videos. It is just a phenomenal blessing. Amazing. I want to encourage you if you have... Um, Subscribe to this channel to please go to the Sar Shalom Synagogue uh, YouTube channel. That's where we have the uh, drashas and some other classes. That's the channel for our synagogue, which is the flagship synagogue for Lapid Judaism here in, in Saginaw, Texas, which is just, just north of, of downtown Fort Worth. Uh, to go ahead and subscribe to that channel as well. We're just like 25 away from having a thousand subscribers on that channel. So uh, please do that. All right, the fifth Aliyah, beginning in verse 14 of Capitulo 31, or 31. That's for our Sephardic friends. Here we go. Hashem spoke to Moshe, Behold, your days are coming near to die. Summon Joshua, and both of you shall stand in the tent of meeting, and I shall instruct him. So Moses and Joshua went and stood in the tent of meeting. Verse 15, Adonai appeared in the tent in a pillar of cloud, and the pillar of cloud stood by the entrance of the tent. And Adonai said to Moses, Behold, you will lie with your forefathers, but this people will rise up and stray after the gods of the foreigners of the land, in whose midst it is coming, and it will forsake me and annul my covenant that I have sealed with it. Now, just want to pause there. Because um, with respect to the Messiah, as he has been historically understood incorrectly by uh, many faith structures, it has become a tenet of faith that God, through the Messiah, Hasve Shalom, annulled his covenant, that he abolished the law, that he got rid of the law of Moses. But I want to point out something that that is completely contrary to what God says in the Bible, okay? So remember that God does not change. Um, that is a important principle that we should never forget. There are several critical principles. That's one of them. God never, ever changes. And so here he is saying that, listen, they're going to forsake me. They're going to follow the gods of others. And he says that they were going to forsake me and annul my covenant. So according to God, the annulment of the covenant, that is, the abolishing of the law of Moses, the abolishing of the Torah, uh, the nullification of the law, is a bad thing. It is lotov. It is no good. And so if God thinks that that is not good now, and it's going to be the basis of people falling to sin, and we're going to, we're going to see the consequences in just a moment, 
then how can that be okay in the future? If God thinks that annulment of the covenant is wrong now, then how is it even remotely possible that he thinks it's okay in the future? God can not change ever. So it says, they know my covenant that I'd seal with them. My anger will flare against it on that day and I will forsake them. What? Yes, you heard it here first. He says, because you annulled my covenant, I, uh, my anger flared against you and now I forsake you. This goes back to the chapter in uh, Hosea, uh, chapter 4. Um, in verse 6, where it talks about the, uh, the people are, are perishing, right, for lack of knowledge. Many of you have heard that verse before, my people perish for lack of knowledge, but rarely, in fact, uh, almost never, does anyone ever complete that verse, because that's only the first part of the verse. My people perish for lack of knowledge, comma, because you've forsaken my Torah, I've forsaken you. Because, in other words, my people perish for lack of knowledge. So the question is, what's the knowledge that we're forsaking, which is the cause of our perishing? And the comma says, because you've forsaken the law of Moses, I've forsaken you. So because we don't finish the verse, we don't know what the cure is. That's like going to the doctor and saying, God, you know, doctor, I'm really, really sick. I've got this, uh, I seem to have this stuffy nose, headaches, fever. And the doctor says, um, well, all right. It's uh, you know you're you're sick. You have um, uh, you know you have a, a respiratory infection, and you say, "Oh, oh, thank you so much," and you shake his hand and you walk out of the doctor's office <laughs> without receiving any knowledge about how to get rid of it. Right. So we like to read the part where it says, "My people perish for lack of knowledge," but nobody ever says, "What's the knowledge?" Well, God tells us in the next the next segment of the same verse. And here he's telling us, because you've annulled my, my covenant, I'm, I'm angry. That makes me mad. doesn't make God glad. He's not rejoicing that people are not following the law of Moses. It, you, can't, you can't support that in the Bible. I mean, I don't want to harp on it, but it's very critical. It's very important. Actually, I do want to harp on it. <laughs> I do want to harp on it because it is so important. Uh, but I digress. So it says here, Chateau uh, Alatou saint uh, yes, and I will conceal my face from them, and they will become prey, and many evils and distresses will encounter it. It will say on that day, it is not because my God is not in my midst that these evils have come upon me? Question mark. Isn't this the case? Isn't it true that we the reason that there's evil and the reason we're suffering is because we don't have God with us? But I will surely have concealed my face on that day because of all the evil that it did, for it had turned to other to gods of others. You know, the, the reality is, is uh, that when we're not following the Torah, we are, uh, by definition, turning to the gods of others. So let me explain how that plays out in practical terms. So the Torah, for instance, gives mankind... Uh, important festivals, Jewish festivals, God festivals, same thing. Jewish festivals, God festivals, same thing, okay? Because Judaism is the religion of Hashem. So uh, we have these festivals, right? And so when we're following the Torah, we are 
observing the festivals like Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Pesach, um, uh, Hanukkah, Purim, uh, you know, all, all the festivals. And when we forsake the covenant of our God, we, we don't just do without festivals because mankind needs something. We are human beings after all. And so what we do is we adopt festivals that come from other uh, non-Hashem faiths, pagan faiths, idolatrous faiths, other cults, and so on. And so what ends up happening is that you have people who love God and are trying to follow him, but they've been told, do not follow the Torah. And as a result, they end up keeping Halloween, which is a a, a, a pagan uh, cultish festival from from the Celtic faith and the Druid faith, and then we end up going to uh, keep Christmas. You know, people keep Christmas, which is a a pagan faith, which is kind of a conglomeration of of Nordic and Roman uh, holidays. Um, the Wiccans, uh, the witches and warlocks today, still keep Christmas. They have Christmas trees and wreaths and stuff. All you have to do is go on the Wiccan Facebook page during the Christmas holidays and see that they're keeping it the exact same way that everybody else is keeping it because it is their holiday. And then later in the spring, we have the, um, the festival of Easter, which is kind of an amalgamation of, of different uh, cults and paganism from, um, from Eastern mysticism and kind of Persian uh, kind of stuff. And, and that's what it means when it says that you follow the gods of others. Because naturally, if we're not following God's path, we're following another deity's path. The reason is, is be, my friends, is because there isn't another kingdom at play. There's either the kingdom of light or the kingdom of darkness. And a lot of times we deceive ourselves into thinking that there's some kind of a sideline. Like we, have a, we can have some kind of middle road. And there isn't. There's either light or darkness. And so it says in verse 19, So... Now, write this song for yourself. Now, the song being talked about here is the Torah. Write this song for yourself and teach it to the children of Israel. Place it in their mouths so that this song shall be for me a witness against the children of Israel. And that's the, the end of our reading of the fifth Aliyah. Now, <clears throat> I want to read something to you from the book of Joshua, the book of Yehoshua. Because we're talking here about Moses and there's a transition of leadership. I will never forget my experience one time. I was in Jamaica and I had been invited to a, um, a breakfast that they were having and it was a group of pastors there and so um, I was had been invited to speak at one of the... Uh, pastors' uh, meetings because they were trying to learn more about the faith of, of uh, the Messiah, the actual faith of the Messiah, etc. Anyway, so they invited me to this, uh, this uh, breakfast. And so um, we had Aki and saltfish. It was wonderful. And if you've never had that, it's really good. So the, uh, there was a, a speaker, he got up to speak, and he was quoting from Joshua chapter 1. And I, it, it's remarkable to me how many times we can read scripture and not complete the verse. It's like, it's like I just said with uh, my people perish for lack of knowledge. So anyway, I want to read this segment the, from Joshua chapter 1. Because again, we're talking about Moses handing the, the leadership baton, as it were, to Joshua. 
going into the promised land, what does God tell Joshua that he needs to do in order to be successful? And he's already told Moses, Moses is telling us, don't forget my covenant. But sometimes that goes in one end and out the other. Um, but let's look at what it says here. Now, remember, Joshua, his name is Yeshua. All right? Now, Joshua, I want to be clear because I, I think maybe somebody, at least one person out there got confused. I'm not saying that Joshua in the Bible is the Messiah. I'm saying that the Messiah's name is Yeshua, and if you would translate it into English, it's Joshua. All right? But I don't want to belabor that point. I just want to make that clear. So it says here in Joshua chapter 1, Capitulo 1 de Yehoshua. It happened after the death of Moses, servant of Adonai, that Adonai said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' attendant, saying, Moses, my servant, has died. Now, the reference I've made to the man who spoke at the breakfast in, uh, in Jamaica was that he said, Moses, my servant, is dead. And he proceeded to talk about how followers of the Messiah need to forget about Moses and forget about the law or whatever. He's probably trying to get me saved at the breakfast. Um, <laughs> but, but it was, and, and so it was, uh, it's, was unfortunate because this is what the rest of the passage says. Moses, my servant, has died. Now arise, cross this Jordan, you and this entire people to the land that I give to them, to the children of Israel. Jump down to verse 5. It says, Now man, or excuse me, no man will stand up to you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so will I be with you. If the gentleman had just read a few lines south of where he had quoted from, he would see that Moses, my servant, is dead. And so the baton, the spiritual baton, has been passed to you. And as a result, I'm going to be with you just precisely as I was with Moses. Now, if we skip on down just for the sake of time to chapter, excuse me, to verse 8, it says, This book of the Torah, the law of Moses, the law, the law of God, this book of the Torah shall not, say not, shall not, Depart from your mouth. Rather, you should contemplate it day and night in order that you observe to do according to all, say all, all that is written in it. For then you will make your way successful. What's the result? What is God? Now, I want to point out and emphasize here that this is God who is, who is speaking here. What does God say to Joshua that is going to be the result of him not forsaking the law of Moses, meditating, it, meditating on it day and night, and observing its decrees? He says the result will be that it will make your way successful and you will act wisely. Now, there is a commonly held belief in Christianity, that, uh, which comes from a complete misunderstanding of the letters of Paul, that says that God gave us the Torah so that we would know what sin was and it would make us even more sinful and therefore we would appreciate grace. But that is absolutely, positively false. 
We know that because the Bible says the exact opposite. So I want to ask you a question, just to use your brain, because you are all, every one of you, intelligent human beings. Is God lying when he tells Joshua to be sure and follow the law of Moses, the Torah, the word of God, the law, be sure and follow it. Don't depart from it. Don't cease meditating on it. Be sure to observe its decrees. And as a result of that, the reason I want you to do it is because I want you to have success in everything you do. And I want you to be wise. He never says anything about the reason I want you to do this, Joshua, is because I'm, I'm trying to teach you that you're a sinful person and you can't do it. I'm, 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 I'm effectively setting you up for failure. Because I know that the moment you try to keep all the law, you're going to utterly fail. That's the opposite of being successful. That's the opposite of being wise. Does this make sense to you? I know it does. because you're. And I, I, I sincerely mean that you're intelligent people. All of you are very smart people. You are. I mean it. You can just read this, and it's like, yeah. I mean, we either have one or two possibilities. Either God is lying or he's telling the truth. Now, God can't lie, right? Of course right. Hasve shalom. God forbid he should be lying to us. And so God, according to God, God says when you follow the law of Moses, you're going to have success and be wise. According to the opinions of men, if we follow the law of Moses, we'll just become more worse sinners and we'll have failure in our life and we'll have difficulty and we'll be trampling grace underfoot. God never said that. God said when you follow the law of Moses, you'll have success and you'll be wise. Now he goes on to say, behold, I have commanded you. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear. Do not lose resolve. For Adonai, your God, is with you wherever you go. You know, this is what I love about Lapid Judaism is that the teaching is just straightforward. It's clear. It's logical. It's not complicated. It doesn't require a bunch of theological gymnastics. We don't have to splice uh, ideas together or uh, just make stuff up. We just read what God says and we do it. It's really quite simple. And I love the part there about be courageous and have resolve. Uh, because there are many people out there, my friends, and you're going to meet them. You're probably going to meet some of them today, even, in fact, that are going to try to talk you down from, from this walk. They're going to try to discourage you. They're, oh, you don't have this. You don't, you know, all those little things. Um, and just, we have to have resolve. Um, you know, look, I, people have tried to make us quit, uh, for, for years. Um, because, you know, and I'm not, because the spirits of darkness, they just don't like the truth. That's a news flash for you today. Um, here's the news flash. You've heard it here first. The spirits of darkness don't like truth. Um, and uh, and here's the next news flash. I don't care. Um, so I'm just going to continue to have resolve. Uh, so and you should too. That's my encouragement to you. Um, so here's some lessons. Another insight. Man, there's so so many so many wonderful insights. Uh, that I could share, but let me go ahead in the, in the few minutes we have remaining. Let me just uh, and we, listen. We have. I, I want to say something. I'm so sorry. I, I don't mean to be scatterbrained this morning. Please forgive me. Uh, but there's so much going on. We have teachings that we put out. I uh, just did a teaching last night that Bezrat Hashem will be published here uh, in, in about 24 hours or so, maybe, hopefully. 
but a lot of the things we do not cover uh, on the Aliyah day, uh, I will put into the Shabbat table sparks. If you don't know what I'm talking about, then you should just go to uh, mysarshalom.com and you'll see a link there for the Shabbat table sparks. And that's a publication that we put out weekly with God's help uh, that you should use at your Arab Shabbat table to spark Torah conversations. So very often I will go back through and and take insights that we kind of left on the proverbial table, no pun intended, and put those into the spark. So I just want to encourage you with that. But there's so much. And by the way, uh, we'll never cease learning, all right? So anyway, so it says here, lessons we learn from Devarim. It says, you must read from this Torah before all of Israel. So after or during the sabbatical year, the entire book of Deuteronomy uh, was read before the people. Now, this was done in the temple times. Um, We'll come back to that sometime later. But this was done in the temple times. Um, And we can do it today, although it's not exactly the way it was supposed to be done in the Torah because we don't have the temple. But anyway, it says the sabbatical year teaches us three primary lessons, which is why we focus on the Torah. Here are the three primary lessons. God is master over us. Uh, God is master over nature. And God is master over our possessions. Those seem um, to, to, to just be uh, relatively simple thoughts, right? Uh, but we need to be reminded of that because we're human beings and we're frail and, and um, we, we sometimes lose our proverbial minds sometimes. And so we need to be reminded that God is master over us. He has the right to tell us what to do. A lot of times people's opposition to Torah, my friends, to the law of Moses, stems from an an inherent rebellion that we have. We don't want people telling us what to do, and that includes God very often. That's just a reality. We're just kind of rebellious, and so we don't want anybody to tell us what we can or can't eat, what we should or shouldn't wear. We don't like people telling us it's our fault. We don't like it. We want to do what we want to do, and that is an inherent rebellion. Very often, our opposition to Torah is not really theological. We just use that as cover. It's really just our own rebellion saying, eh, I don't think so. I want to eat what I want to eat because I want it. And the opposition of Torah is sin, and sin tastes good. Sin feels good. Sin smells good. Sin looks good. Sin sounds good. If it didn't, it wouldn't be enticing. So you can't go by that. You have to go by doing right for right's sake. So we have to understand that God is our master. And sometimes we may not agree. We may not understand. But we're going to do it anyway because he's our God. He's only our king if we are in fact his subjects. Many people make a claim that God is their king, but they're not subjected to him. They're subjected to their own subjective desires. And that's true for a great many of us, that we like to make our own rules. God said, don't get a tattoo, but if I get one in Hebrew, it's okay, right? No. Well, God said, don't get a tattoo, but if I'm not doing it because uh, I'm not doing it for uh, whatever, uh, for a dead person, that's okay. No, it's not. Well, I really like them and they're really pretty. Buy a picture and put it on your wall, (laughs) right? So, God is master over the, over nature, that God controls nature. Nature does not control itself. Nature does not control us. God is uh, master over creation. 
And we need to understand that reality. We're not the masters of the creation, and creation is not the master over us. The world is not going to end in 10 years by natural disaster, melting ice caps or whatever, too many, too many uh, uh, Tahoes on the road or some nonsense like that, unless God wants it to. Has nothing to do with us. Does that mean that we should go out and pollute the world? Of course not. It just means that God is in control, not us. And you know, if you think about it, the uh, the idea that we can destroy the world um, is really kind of arrogant. It really puts that kind of power in our hand. We can't even crush a rock with our hand, much less destroy the world. God is master over our possessions. When we understand that everything we have, everything we have comes from God. Everything we have comes from God. And whatever we have is really on loan to us. We don't get to take it with us. Did you know, this is going to shock many of you, tongue in cheek, uh, that when you die, you can't take anything with you? I know, I know, I know, I know. Uh, it's a shock, right? <laughs> you can't, really. Everything's on loan. Everything I have, all of my possessions um, are on loan to me. Uh, all of the, the things that I value, uh, one of the things I value the most of all is my library and it's going to go, uh, if I should pass away before my wife, uh, it'll go to her. And if not to our children and, uh, you know, all those things like everything else, right? It, it's just on loan to us. And when we understand that God is the master of our possessions and that God provides for us, that takes away from us, my friends, uh, pride, arrogance, the idea that we're self-made or what have you. Um, or the idea that somehow we earn this and it's ours. No, God has called us to be good stewards of, of what, uh, what we have. So these are the lessons among so many others that we learn from Devarim, that God is King. He gives us the path of Torah. Uh, Jews have never, ever believed that the Torah quote saves us. God saves us. But the Torah is the path of righteousness to those who are in covenant with the living God. And it is a path of life, joy, and freedom. End of our Aliyah today. So much more to share. We are out of time, but not out of content. Please subscribe to our channel. Like this video. Please hop on over to uh, the Sar Shalom Synagogue YouTube channel and subscribe to it. And uh, help us uh, get over the, the thousand uh, marker there. That would be a great blessing. We will see all of you tomorrow with God's help. Until then, have a blessed, amazing, and wonderfully joyous day. Shalom and blessings.